five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. My name is Raphael Rodkin, and I'm an investor and advisor to space companies. Just as a reminder, this podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing should be taken as investment advice. This podcast is sponsored by Nanoavionics, a satellite manufacturer and mission integrator. Their technologies enable many space companies worldwide to offer services that improve life right here on Earth, such as providing global connectivity, conducting Earth observation, or contributing to scientific discoveries. Check them out, and also check out my episode with their CEO and co-founder. Sadly, I am not a rocket scientist, but I'm an alumnus of the International Space University. ISU offers a number of educational programs about space worldwide. Check them out at isunet.edu. And just some final things before we start the episode about ourselves. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform, such as Apple or Spotify. If you want us help, expand our work, you can do so and support us at www.patreon.com forward slash space business podcast. And we'll also put that link in the episode notes. And lastly, you can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore space. Hey, space enthusiasts. We are more than halfway through 2022. Wow, that went fast. As you know, we do episodes to preview the upcoming year every year at the beginning of the year. Now, the space sector is moving so fast, warp speed, I guess, that several people reached out to us and asked us to start doing mid-year episodes too. So here we are. So this will be a mix of a review of the first half of 2022 and a preview of the second half of 2022. And the same caveat as for the other preview episodes, we just cannot cover everything. Fortunately, there's just so much going on in space right now. We started the 2022 preview at the beginning of the year talking about the James Webb Space Telescope. And of course, we need to mention it again. At the beginning of the year, the JWST was still on its way to the L2 Lagrange point. It has now arrived there, and we have received the first pictures. If you have not seen those, you absolutely must. They are stunning. We will put the link in the episode notes. They are some of these mind-blowing pictures that help you put into perspective who we are as humanity and where our place in the cosmos is. But enough said. Look for yourselves. Speaking of larger government space projects, China's Tiangong space station just received another module, the Wenxian module, and apologize if I mispronounce that. The final module, Mengxian, is scheduled to be launched in October this year. Uh, the space station is already being used by Chinese astronauts, and as I record this, by the way, the core stage of the Chinese Long March Rocket 5B that launched the module is expected to crash back somewhere on Earth sometime today. Artemis 1, the first of NASA's moon missions, this one uncrewed, is also still expected to launch in 2022, possibly as early as August or September on the SLS, the Spain launch system. We did preview some other science missions at the beginning of the year. Unfortunately, some of them have not happened and may not happen at all. So NASA's Psyche mission to the Metal Ridge asteroid of the same name was just put on hold due to software issues principally, and NASA ordered an independent review. It will now launch no earlier than July 2023, but it may even get theoretically canceled. We will find out about that probably in September. Another science mission that we had talked about and which indeed got canceled was the ExoMars mission, a cooperation between the European Space Agency, ESA, and the Russian space agency, Roscosmos. This one first got put on hold in March, shortly after the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and it got finally canceled in July. We shall talk more about the war in 
minute. Fortunately, another mission we previewed did recently on June 28th, to be exact, get off the ground, literally. That was NASA's Capstone mission. Capstone stands for Cislunar Autonomous Positioning System Technology Operations and Navigation Experiment, with the mouthful, hence Capstone. It is a small microwave oven satellite that will fly a special orbit around the moon in preparation for the Lunar Gateway Station, using the same orbit in a few years. Besides verifying the characteristics of this special lunar orbit they will use, which is a highly elliptical orbit called the rectilinear halo orbit, Capstone will test certain navigation capabilities. The Capstone satellite is now on the way to the moon and has, as of the time as I'm recording this, already performed three course correction maneuvers, and it shall arrive if all goes well at its lunar orbit on 13th of November this year. Continuing to speak of the moon, none of the private missions have launched this yet, but some are still targeting launches this year. For example, Astrobotics Peregrine 1 mission and Intuit machines, I am one mission. Sadly, another well-known lunar-focused company, Marston Space Systems, just announced that it is filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. This is despite the fact that the company had won a $75 million NASA contract for transportation a couple of years ago. It seems that mission was a tough one to pull off and cost, cost overruns and COVID hitting in the middle also didn't help. And the mission we mentioned in the 2022 preview, DART, or the Double Asteroid Redirect Test, should still reach its target, the Didymos asteroid and its moonlet in September this year. Okay, let's shift gears. First, as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, we should spend some time on any impacts of Russia's invasion of Ukraine on the space sector. And we could easily do an entire episode just on that, but let me highlight just a few things. So in no particular order, international cooperation. And as I mentioned, the ExoMars mission got cancelled. Russia's new head of Roscosmos, the old one, got fired, also just signaled Russia's intention to pull out of the ISS, the International Space Station, post-2024 and for Russia to launch their own space station. Or better understood, all of this has not been communicated through official channels yet. On a contrary note, it seems like a seat swap arrangement for astronauts between NASA and Roscosmos is indeed still happening for now. Okay, second point, launch vehicles. Russian launch vehicles are now off the table for most people. The satellite communications company OneWeb got to experience that first hand, most directly, as the Soyuz rocket that was supposed to carry a load of their satellites to orbit literally got taken off the pad in Baikonur shortly after the war started. OneWeb has since announced that it will launch some of its satellites on other launch vehicles, for example, Relativity Space's next-generation Terran R rocket. Other space components, that's another thing that's being affected by the war. Launches are not, not the only space asset here. Anybody, for example, previously relying on Russian-made FACL satellite propulsion units or Ukrainian-made rocket engines must now look for alternatives. So this is, of course, a silver lining for those potential providers, non-Russian providers of such alternatives. Space as a strategic domain, and this may well be the most important highlight of the war. Space-based assets are critical in warfare, and hence so is protecting them. In the early days of the invasion, Viasat satellite communications terminals were hacked. SpaceX's Starlink sub subsequently deployed thousands of terminals, and to be fair, I think Iridium as well, into Ukraine, and those seem to work. The Russian anti-satellite test in late 2021 retrospectively surely looks like an intentional demonstration of capabilities. So does the in-combat use of a Russian hypersonic missile. By the way, in this context, the US announced a unilateral ban on anti-satellite tests. And then, of course, we can all see for ourselves how important satellite imagery has been in the war. You don't need to go into classified materials for that. Probably every other or so public news article on the war has a satellite image in it, many of those from commercial providers. The US National Reconnaissance Office, or NRO, in May announced the largest commercial imagery contract ever for a total of several billion dollars to Black Sky, Maxar, and Planet. So for better or worse, 
all that is happening will almost certainly increase the priority of defense spending on space in many places around the world. Okay, shifting gears again to launch vehicles or rockets. No further fully private launches have maiden flights in 2022 so far, but some may happen soon. Firefly's Alpha rocket is now at the Vandenberg Space Force Base and trying for a launch in August or September. This will be Firefly's second orbital attempt after the first one in September 2021 failed. And the pieces of Relativity's Terran 1 rocket are at KSC in Florida, awaiting final integration. Some other companies like Germany's ESA Aerospace and the British Orbex may try for late 2022, but 2023 may be more realistic at this point for orbital attempts. One launcher that did recently have its maiden flight was ASA's Vega C, which is an evolution of the Vega launcher. Private launch companies Rocket Lab and Virgin Orbit have continued to successfully execute customer missions in 2022. Rocket Lab has even started trying to recover its first stages by catching them with a helicopter. Astrospace, an American private launcher, had two failures out of three launches in 2022. And many people, probably including Astro's shareholders, of course, are holding their breath for the next launch attempt. Godspeed to them. Space, as they say, is hard. Well, speaking of launch vehicles, we need to mention the most widely used launch vehicle that currently is the SpaceX Falcon 9. And as of recording this, that rocket, the Falcon 9, has launched 34 times already this year. That is on average more than one launch a week. One of these flights reused the booster, so first stage, for the 13th time. So this flight cadence and reuse is they're both unprecedented in the space sector. But this is, of course, precisely what it takes to make orbital spaceflight commonplace, accessible, also cost-wise, reliable, regular, and so on. The majority of those Falcon 9 missions were Starlink deployments. More on this in a minute. But there were also missions for other commercial satellite customers and for human spaceflight. One of those human missions was the Axiom AX-1 mission that took three paying passengers and Axiom's professional astronaut, Michael Lopez Alegria, to the ISS. The next one of those missions, predictably called AX-2, was originally mentioned to take place possibly even in 2022, but my guess is it will probably be 2023 right now. Speaking about missions to the ISS, a quick shout out at this point to Boeing, whose Starliner capsule on an uncrewed test flight finally made it to the ISS after a failed attempt. We may see a crewed attempt later this year. Anyway, coming back to the private crewed missions. While Axiom's AX-1 was the only orbital private space explorer mission, there were also two suborbital flights in Blue Origin's New Shepard vehicle. Blue Origin's suborbital competitors Virgin Galactic flights indeed are still paused. While we are on private space explorer flights, let me highlight a couple of other things. First, Space Perspective, a startup that is a portfolio company of my venture fund E2MC, just recently re revealed the design of the capsule it will use to fly tourists, if all goes well, from 2024 to the edge of space underneath giant stratospheric balloons. It's a beautiful vehicle, and we'll put a link in the episode notes. You can check it out. Second, coming back to orbital spaceflight, in February, February this year, Jared Isaacman, the commander and sponsor of the private Inspiration4 mission last year, revealed a program of three further commercial flights on SpaceX, designed to conduct a number of important mission and research objectives that include, for example, flying the highest Earth orbit ever with a crewed flight and conducting the first commercial spacewalk. Two of these flights will take place on SpaceX's Crew Dragon capsule, but the third intends to already use SpaceX's Starship. Well, we should, of course, talk about Starship here, too. So coming back to launch vehicles, as we previewed, one, if not the most important space event in 2022 will hopefully be the first orbital test flight of the Starship. After a few deadline extensions, the FAA, an American government agency, finally concluded an environmental review that is required before Starship can launch orbitally. That review basically came out positive for SpaceX, 
but it does require the company to implement a number of mitigating measures. Since none of those required measures should present difficulties, we can still hope for a stable orbital attempt sometime in the near future or i.e. this year. Since we are talking about SpaceX, let's also review where their satellite communications constellation Starlink got to so far in 2022. And as I mentioned, most of the company's Falcon 9 launches this year were dedicated to deploying Starlink satellites. As of the time of recording this, there were now almost 2,700 Starlink satellites in orbit already, making it by far the largest constellation out there. And that is despite over 250 Starlink satellites failing over time or being deorbited on purpose. The company is somewhere around half a million of paying subscribers already. And that, of course, means Starlink is also already big business, and SpaceX has reached a valuation of around $127 billion in its most recent round, financing round this year. So let's quickly talk about space business and finance, too. The most important event here is undoubtedly the global markets cooling off. The Nasdaq stock index is down over 20% year-to-date in 2022, and that qualifies it as being in a bear market. This has, of course, also affected the space sector. The share prices of space companies that were relatively recently listed on the stock exchange, many of them via mergers with so-called SPACs or special purpose acquisition companies, are mostly down significantly too. On the private market side, as a space venture capitalist, I can tell you, for example, that the valuations that startups are trying for have also adjusted downwards. Financing rounds for space companies are still happening. See, for example, Earth Observation Company Capella Space recently raising a $97 million Series C. But that financing activity is definitely at what seems to be a slower clip than just a few months ago. And even that slower clip we are witnessing probably still includes the tail of deals or financing deals that are announced now but it have been in negotiations since before the market adjusted. On a related note, though, we are now starting to see consolidation among space companies picking up as companies are trying to benefit from exploiting synergies and or companies that have liquidity taking advantage of that liquidity to be able to pick up good acquisition targets at what may be attractive valuations. Few recent examples of this already, among them, for example, Kongsberg's acquisition of a majority stake in nanoavionics and the merger between satellite communications operators Utilsat and OneWeb. I'd expect more of this type of consolidation activity. New investment funds for space also keep getting raised. And we had a couple also of private fund announcement, but notably also recently the announcement about a new space investment fund by the government of the United Arab Emirates. Let me finish on an upbeat note. Despite the current market adjustment, I strongly believe that none of the underlying secular drivers of the space sector have changed. Among these drivers, the key one remains the continuously decreasing cost in accessing and operating in space. Starship conducting orbital test flight will be a powerful reminder of this. And as I already alluded to, the current geopolitical situation, namely the Russian invasion of Ukraine is terrible, but it has also driven home the importance of space as a strategic domain. So as defense budgets in many places around the world are going up, this will directly benefit the space sector too. So in my mind, space continues to be a very good place to spend time, whether you're an investor like me, an entrepreneur, or an employee in the space sector. Hence, I want to now really finish off by highlighting a few of my personal efforts to try to help educate people more about space and help them join the sector. First of all, there's this very podcast, the Space Business Podcast. And so far this year, we have had 16 episodes with really cool people, including Canadian astronaut Chris Hatfield, Peter Platzer, the CEO and founder of Spire, Roland Altan, the CEO of Mineric, and Pippa Malgram, an economist. So in terms of cadence, we're actually leaving behind Starlink launches. But fear not, there are a few exciting things in the works for the rest of 2022, including new episode formats for our thousands of listeners in over 100 countries. Another thing I'm proud that happened in the first half of 2022 is that we released the new space economy MOOC or massive online open course on the EDX platform. This course with over 30 video lectures 
and led by Swiss elite university EPFL, explains the space economy, including how space technology can help many sectors right here on Earth. I actually have another different type of online course lined up that should be released in August, so watch this space, pun intended. Lastly, the English translation of my space economy book should now also finally come out in August, so watch out for that too. All in all, space continues to be a super exciting place to be. In that way, and also, I will spend most of my August teaching at the International Space University's annual summer program, the Space Studies program, which is this year held near Lisbon, Portugal. We will try to record one or two episodes directly from there for you. And that's it for this mid-year review. I wish you a great summer if you're located in the Northern Hemisphere, and a great time anyway if you're somewhere else in the world. The rest of the year looks promising for the space sector, and I look forward to spending it together with you. And that's a wrap for another nominal episode of the Space Business Podcast. Once more, if you enjoyed this, please leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform, such as Apple or Spotify. You can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore space. You can support us at www.patreon.com forward slash space business podcast. Lastly, if you have any feedback, including ideas for guests, and that may include yourself if you have an interesting space story to tell, or interested in being a sponsor, drop us an email at spacebusinesspodcast at gmail.com. See you for the next episode.